Hi diddly ho preparinos, this is Nat, the preparedness guy, your host of Preparedness Works, the second best preparedness podcast in the world. Preparedness Works is part of the Readiness Lab, the place for podcasts, webinars, and training in the field of emergency and disaster services. And I cannot thank our network sponsors enough for their incredible support, including L3 Harris, Proper, Paladin Biasella, Impulse, and Doberman Emergency Management. So please take this moment to hear about some of our sponsors. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapsed and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. If you served in the military, you've probably worn Proper Apparel. Proper Apparel is now reaching out to first responders and those who love the outdoors. Check out Proper Apparel from the outdoors to the EOC, wear proper. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. Also, a special thanks to all of you stellar individuals who support us by either boosting the signal or by joining our TRL Insider Program on TheReadinessLab.com slash subscriptions. Today is a primer on food storage. Food is one of our basic needs. It has never been easier to store food, and we've never had so many excuses not to. But how much do we store? FEMA recently released their 2023 National Preparedness Report. FEMA is the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and they do a report every year, send it out to all the emergency managers, and uh, they include data that they've collected from different jurisdictions and from their uh, National Preparedness Survey as well. So in it, they identify four major focus areas for hazard-based preparedness and what to do about them. Basically, they picked some hazards they want to focus on and, and gave some tips. And mostly it seems based on what received the most public or media attention the previous year. And there's not a whole lot regarding individual preparedness for each of these hazards, but there is a section for each, which uh, I'll share for, share uh, below or in a little bit. These documents seem to be targeted at emergency managers and elected officials to sort of give guidance on what to focus on. And it's kind of a bureaucratic document. So it has to be somewhat vague and ambiguous, especially because it encompasses the entire nation. Could you imagine writing a document for the East Coast and West Coast and Midwest and North and South and trying to make it a one-size-fits-all? So they're not going to put things in there that are going to get political backlash or that are too specific to one area. It's kind of a showpiece of sorts. No offense to anyone who worked on it. It doesn't have any power to be enforced, so it's not uh, like a policy. It's just kind of some guidelines, and it doesn't necessarily need to reflect reality, the most serious threats. It's just some observations, ideas, and recommendations, usually around whatever is politically expedient or what they want funding to go to. In emergency management, I always say uh, we fund what we fear, unfortunately. So the first of these focus areas for FEMA is fire management and suppression. 
This is likely due to not only the seasonal wildfires, but particular instances that garnered national attention, like the fire in Hawaii. The recommendation for individual preparedness is to gather supplies so that you have at least three days of emergency provisions on hand, including particulate respiratory masks, non-perishable food, bottled, boiled, or purified water, weather-appropriate clothing, flashlights, first aid supplies, and prescription needs. Those are tailored for that specific hazard. The next hazard is logistics and supply chain management. With ongoing supply chain issues, especially residual concerns from the pandemic, as well as issues with sourcing and transportation happening right now, this is something that is on a lot of radars. The recommendation here for individual preparedness is to identify supplies already on hand, then gather enough supplies to last several days in the event of a supply of supply chain disruptions. Buy supplies, supplies slowly and do not buy more than you need. So not a specific day on that one. There's three days for the fire. This one said several days. The third hazard here is public health, healthcare, and emergency medical services, or focus area, not necessarily hazard. Coming out of the pandemic and dealing with shortages in medication supplies and medical staffing, public health, healthcare, and emergency medical services is certainly a potential vulnerability. The individual preparedness recommendation here is to prepare an emergency supply of prescription medicines, including for pets, backup power sources, and personal supplies to last at least three days. So here's three days again. The last is long-term vulnerability reduction. This one is the most interesting to me because they are acknowledging the reality of long-term vulnerabilities, especially those related to cybersecurity, the power grid, and with the uh, potential for long-term power disruptions. We've seen some things that have impacted us long-term economically with supply chain, with other shortages or staffing issues. This is something that they're acknowledging so they can kind of figure out what to do about it. But these recommendations still seem to be uh, politically cautious. They say to prepare a two-week emergency supply kit for all household members, including pets. Kits should include non-perishable food, bottled, boiled, or purified water, weather-appropriate clothing, flashlights, and batteries, first aid supplies, thermal blankets, warming packs, prescription medicines, a battery-powered radio, and a small toolkit. I think it's kind of funny because it's probably group work here. It's almost like they're reading over each other's shoulder, but there probably were people editing it and trying to make them somewhat uh, coincide with each other too. So some of those are, are word for word, but this one does say two weeks uh, emergency supply kit for all those things. And even though they're finally talking about long-term impacts, their recommendations only go as far as two weeks of providing for your needs. Now, even in the 2022 National Household Survey on Disaster Preparedness that was released in 2020, end of 2023, there was a self-assessed question in there that found that 45% of adults consider themselves prepared for a disaster. This is, I think, higher than the average of past years for the same survey. They do it every year, but I think they do it every year, maybe other every other year. Uh, but it also, I don't think it's the right question to ask 
even if the even in the uh, hazard focus areas that we just discussed, they're looking at wildly different disaster types. So if the measure of preparedness is enough food in your house to not starve to death in three days, for the survey, that's an easy benchmark. Two weeks is a little harder, but most people could probably scrounge up enough food to make do. And unless you have serious health issues, you're going to survive without food specifically that long. So where do these numbers come from? The three days and two weeks? Well, practically nowhere. Sure, most emergencies are less than three days, right? I mean, I guess so. But if three days doesn't cover it, surely two weeks ought to cover it, right? This is something I run into over and over again in the emergency management field. First, hardly anyone uh, focuses on or acknowledges the need for emergency preparedness or programs meant to support individual preparedness. And second, the recommendations are always so reserved. It's as if they feel they would be irresponsible if they were to essentially give permission for people to be as prepared as possible. I've been sitting in a room talking about preparedness with professional emergency managers, and it's almost like they look around at the other emergency managers and they're like, three days is good, guys, right? Right? And then if you really push them, they'll say something like, well, I, I guess maybe two weeks worth of food is okay if we want to go on the extreme end of things, but any more than that is way too extreme. Right, guys? Back me up. I'm ration, rational. I'm on, I'm on your side. It's like those are like these eternal numbers that cannot be questioned for fear of being heretical. If you go against the doctrine of three days or two weeks, I don't want to be too mean to emergency managers. A lot of them are better prepared than that. It's just tough trying to find a one size fits all answer to how prepared should people be? How much food should they have on hand? And most emergency managers or responders have dealt with a situation where it has lasted longer than two weeks, whether it's power outages, snowstorms, uh, transportation issues, other things that they've dealt with, floods, so on, so on, so on. So they know that the possibility is there. It's just the way that they ask the question, we ask the question or the way we frame it is always hazard based and it's always focusing on, on a specific time frame that's a, a one size fits all. Part of this is, is reinforced by a misled belief that preparedness equals hoarding or that it's somehow an antisocial behavior rather than the civic responsibility it really is. You can look at um, the other episode on that to learn about prepare preparedness as a civic responsibility. But it also comes from the situations where unprepared people panic buy, panic buy which we saw with toilet paper in 2020. And we, we also see it with things like milk and bread before severe winter or tropical storms. The official meal of bad weather is milk sandwiches. Outside of not wanting to be heretical or not wanting to seem like an outcast in emergency management, professional reluctance to recommend anything more than either three days or up to two weeks isn't something most people will do because they don't know what that looks like. Is it a stockpile of MREs, a year's supply of freeze-dried meals? Is food storage only emergency or survival food? Well, that's why I'm here. I'm on a mission to be the people's 
emergency manager, but also the emergency manager's prepper in a way. I want to bridge the gap between professional best practices, tools, and data and individual needs and the reality of preparedness in the real world. Speaking to both sides, helping us understand the needs, but also how to address them. So with all that said, I'm obviously going to go against the grain of typical professional advice. As I've said many times, we shouldn't focus on the hazard. We should focus on the need. This doesn't mean we don't do response planning, but that is a small part of preparedness and is also meeting your needs of personal safety in the first part of a hazard's impact. Preparedness is needs-based. It's not about what we fear. It's about what we need and the things we love. So trying to decide what and how much to store just based on the hazards or potential disasters is not the way to go about it at all. How much is too, not, too much? Well, according to some, maybe four days or two weeks in a day. Even though you don't need my permission, you have it. <coughs> As an emergency manager, I am perfectly fine if you want to stack it to the rafters. Store as much as you need. I could say as much as you want, and that's probably still true, as long as you're in the preparedness phase, not in the response phase. Remember, once you start into the, the fears of what's happening, if something is impacting you and you try to stockpile then, that's not preparedness. You don't prepare by buying what everyone else is buying when they need it. You prepare before you need it. So how much do you need? That can only be answered by you based on your priorities, usage, and personal circumstances like storage space and conditions, your budget, your ability to rotate through the food, and so on. It's too much food if it will go to waste, either because you'll never eat it or because it can't be stored in a way that will protect you. I'm far less concerned with how much people choose to store as I am with helping them pick good food and making sure they store it in a way that protects and preserves it, and then helping them learn how to rotate through. We store food that we like. As in emergency management, logistics and inventory management are a huge part of what we do. So in emergency management for our organizations, it's essential that we have a logistics and inventory management program. And as I said before, we fund what we fear. So when something is scary in the country, there's always this political and financial support to prepare for that specific hazard. When COVID-19 hit, many agencies went to their inventory and dug out N95 masks from 2009, which was the last big scare for a respiratory illness. But in way too many cases, those items hadn't been cared for. They hadn't been cycled out with regular supplies to stay fresh. The elastic had dried up, so you'd go to put it on and it would snap, and it left the masks useless. So it's important to stay on top of things like expiration dates and add the items into your regular rotation of use. So however much you store, you are, you are responsible for maintaining it. What kinds of food should you store? Again, it depends on you and what you like. I knew a family who had several buckets of wheat for their food storage. I, I love telling this story. It's, um, I was helping them move. And there were buckets, um, five-gallon buckets of wheat. So that's a lot of wheat. And they told me it was their food storage. And in the conversation, I found out that their food storage was just a 
bunch of five-gallon buckets of wheat, but they didn't have a wheat grinder. They had never baked using freshly ground flour from stored wheat, and they didn't really do much baking at all. They didn't have any other recipes for its use, so wheat was probably a poor option for them. It lasts forever, but they didn't know how to use it. They didn't know if they liked it, and they couldn't process it into into usable flour. On the other hand, I also store a good amount of wheat myself, but we have a grinder. We've actually used it somewhat regularly, and it's not the bulk of our food storage since we store a variety of foods, but it's an incredibly long shelf life food. It can be used to make a variety of other things. So for us, it works because it's something we like, something we can use, and it helps meet a need. I can't say for sure that you should or should not have wheat or any other specific food, but you, but you can. And here are a few tips to help you figure it out, depending on your circumstances. Now, all of this, first and foremost, should be done budget-friendly. You don't need to go into debt for this. Don't go out and buy a bunch of food. Figure out what you can manage. Set aside some money in your budget for your needs. Don't take it from your other day-to-day needs. This is all just part of your life and things that you can rotate through. So I want you to look at your needs in four layers. The three you are probably familiar with are short-term, mid-term, and long-term. But the other one, and maybe the one you should address address first, is your immediate needs. By that, I mean you should have food that requires little or no preparation. So when you are in the thick of an emergency and you're worried about things like not dying, you have food ready to go so you and your family can eat without having to stop everything and cook a meal from scratch. This layer, the immediate needs, is the food you put in your emergency kit, which should be ready for three days or so, back to that somewhat arbitrary number. But the purpose is to keep you taken care of while you can stabilize your situation. Food in this layer can be, can be things like MREs, which can be eaten cold, but they taste better warm, but they have a heater already in the package. And it's pretty simple to use. Basically, all those pouch foods might fall into this category. You can go get some pouches of tuna. Those can be cycled through as well pretty easily. Some canned foods would also fit in this category. You can have some canned fruit. Those can be eaten right out of the can, no problem. doesn't take any preparation. Uh, meals in a can like stew or chili, they're better heated up, but they're ready to eat as well. And you would want to um, have a heating method that you can heat those up. Included in your immediate needs should be snack foods as well that are shelf-stable. Things like trail mix, gummies that my kids love, granola bars, jerky, and other foods that you just like to eat. You can rotate through these foods regularly as you check or update your kits. What you want in this layer are things that are shelf-stable, easy to prepare and eat, tasty, and nutritious. The other three layers to address when it comes to food storage are short, mid, and long-term food storage. This is pretty easy to conceptualize because it goes from freshest and least shelf-stable to the most shelf-stable. Short-term foods are typically those you get at the grocery store each time you go. It's the stuff you eat every day. If you eat fresh fruits and vegetables, they fall under this layer. That doesn't mean you won't also use shelf-stable foods or ingredients day-to-day but everything fresh will fall into this category. 
not every emergency situation will require you to dip into your emergency kits. You just want to have that addressed so your immediate needs can be met if that's all you have. Not every emergency will mean your refrigerator and stove aren't working, so your short-term foods are the regular foods you eat. If your fridge and freezer stop working, you adjust as needed, or you turn on your generator if you have that to meet your power needs. I lean heavily on my freezer for food storage. I know it's susceptible to power loss. I try to plan for that by having a generator, but it is one of the most powerful food storage tools out there. I love having a freezer. Your short-term short food storage consists of your regular foods from your fridge, freezer, and pantry. And you can extend that out by freezing some items. So the short-term layer is your regular grocery items. And as you extend your food storage out, you can do two things. One would be to store more of the same item. So you create a store of food for yourself instead of needing to run to the grocery stores often. You would simply rotate it through, uh, rotate through it using the first in, first out method. You would store only as much of your regular food as you will rotate through before any of it goes bad. So you don't go and buy seven bunches of bananas unless you're eating a bunch a day. You only store as many of that item as you can eat before it expires. The other thing you can do is buy a more shelf-stable version of the same food or make that food more shelf-stable. One example could be fruit. Fresh fruit is the tastiest. It's the easiest to use and most nutritious. It does not store well, though, so you can freeze fruit or buy frozen fruit. That makes it last much longer. You could buy some canned foods, and those last a long time too, but it does change the, the texture and taste a little bit. You could do some home canning of any fruit that you can buy or grow yourself. You see how we're extending that item using variations of the same food. You just store it in a way that lasts longer. You can also use dehydrated or freeze-dried fruit to extend towards the long-term food storage because it can last much longer that way, decades. Much of this would be rotated through as well, but the more shelf-stable, the less frequently you would need to rotate it. Another example that's pretty simple is milk. We buy regular milk at the store, but we have some shelf-stable milk as well which we add to our regular rotation before it expires. It lasts a little over a year when we buy it at the grocery store. And before it expires, we just, I take it upstairs. I don't buy it all at once, so it expires at once. I spread it out a little bit, so we always have enough on the shelf to last us a little bit. And then I just cycle through it occasionally when it's uh, ready to expire. We buy some new ones. And we always rotate through and get, get it replaced. But we also have some powdered milk. And I know that won't go bad for decades, but it can also be rotated through when we need to, especially reconstituted and added as an ingredient in baking. So in the midterm layer, frozen foods and pantry foods really, really help out. That brings me to the last way to approach food storage. The first was to address your immediate needs. The second was to look at your other three layers, starting with your short-term foods and extending out to the midterm, and eventually the long-term, with the same type of food or the same food in a more shelf-stable variation. Uh, 
The last approach is to go all the way to long-term and get some staples and work back toward midterm. In this way, you can bookend your storage. The way I do this is to get basic subsistence items or food staples that last a very long time. For me, this is usually dry bulk goods. The more long-term I go, the more the focus is on ingredients. I store a lot of rice, some beans, salt, sugar, and other dry goods, but also things like honey. This area can be tricky because while some foods are easy to acquire and store, you still want it to be good. And by good, I mean tasty. I try really hard not to have the mindset of, well, if I'm hungry enough, I'll eat it. I try to store foods I know my family and I like. There are lots of grains, beans, and other dry goods you can store, but if you don't like any of those, don't store them. You can also store dried spices to add a variety of flavors. The problem with these foods is you need to know how to use them. Figuring it out is not a solid plan for a situation where you're already put under a lot of stress or maybe danger. What I'm talking about is knowing how to cook from scratch, an incredibly useful skill. It also means knowing how to prepare the raw ingredients for use. That takes us back to the wheat conversation. Wheat is helpful if you have a wheat grinder and can cook with that flour, just like canned goods are helpful if you have a can opener. Whatever food you have, make sure you have the right tool and the right knowledge how to use it. Most of the items I named have incredible long, incredibly long shelf life. Uh, but there are other foods that have a long shelf life that I like to store, like flour, pasta, oats, and especially if you store them correctly, like in mylar bags with oxygen absorbers. I do that, and it can be a fun family activity. But I also buy some prepackaged foods, like freeze-dried foods in number 10 cans. Okay, let's stop and take a deep breath. <sighs> some people might get overwhelmed. They might feel apprehensive about preparedness or the world and current events. So pause. Preparedness should alleviate anxiety, not add to it. That's why we focus on needs, not on hazards. There's plenty in the world to be afraid of, but you can't control all that. You can control yourself and your home. And since you always need food and water and many other things, putting some extra away doesn't hurt anything. Take your time doing it. Put it in your budget. And you can rotate it through. Just buy the replacement and put it at the back of the shelf and buy a little bit more when you can. These are days of plenty. This is when food storage is even possible. Even with the crazy thing ha things happening in the world, and unless you're in a situation struggling to meet your needs day to day, there is something you can do to put food aside. There's a story in the Old Testament of the Bible. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a dream, which is interpreted by Joseph as representing seven years of plenty follow, followed by seven years of famine. I'm not trying to tell you that just because we have plenty now, we will inevitably face famine soon. The point is that during a regular year, even if it's difficult, we still have access to more varieties of food in any season than any time in the history of the world. We have never seen days of plenty like this. Even our food storage tools are more easily accessible than ever. Bagging dried goods in mylar is easy. That, that life of relative ease and access to so many things right at our fingertips, we can order food from our phone, we can go to the grocery store anytime we, will, we want, it convinces people that they don't 
need to be responsible for themselves. But you know better. You know your needs and you will make sure you can meet them for yourself and your family, regardless of any hazards that happen. And even if they don't happen, focusing on your needs is never a waste because it's things you need. So how much is too much? I'll say it again. It's too much if it will go to waste, either because you never eat it or because it can't be stored in a way that will protect it. So if you plan on living another 70 years and could somehow store 70 years worth of food, could keep it preserved and planned to rotate through it, is that too much or just enough? Is there any point in your life where you would stop needing to eat? While I really I don't advocate living entirely on stored food for the rest of your life, I just want to illustrate that so many people have either a fixed amount of time they deem appropriate for how much food you should have, or they have no time at all as appropriate, or more accurately, they have given it no more thought than is necessary to dismiss the idea of food storage altogether. So to summarize, you are responsible for yourself, and it has never been easier to meet your needs of eating food. Focus on your immediate needs with ready-to-eat, shelf-stable foods to get you through a few days. Then start extending your regular short-term foods into the mid and long-term by finding more shelf-stable variations or replacements of those foods. Then go to the long-term, or while you're doing that, go to the long-term and store some staple items and begin working your way backwards to the work you are doing with the short-term. You'll meet somewhere in the middle. Rotate your food first in, first out. What is the oldest on your shelf is the first thing you're going to eat. Store what you eat and eat what you store. And more than simply storing food, if you are able to produce and preserve your own food to the extent possible in your circumstances, that would be a beneficial step to becoming more self-reliant. I hope that gives you something to work on a little at a time to meet your needs. And I hope it gives you peace. If you find yourself overwhelmed or anxious, take a breath, take a step back, and reach out for some tips if you need to. And always remember, preparedness works. Preparedness works.